Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast, where we unpack sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. I'm Bryce Johnson. Hope you're doing well today. I'm thrilled about today's show as we'll be joined by former NFL player who is now an author and a pastor, and he's also the keynote speaker for the Man Up Charlotte Conference. It's Derwin Gray. And and I got to tell you a little bit about the conference before we jump in, because unpacking it is a big part of this event in Charlotte. And and we're so excited to to partner with some great ministries and churches to put this event on for the men of Charlotte. And a lot of people listen to this podcast from other places outside of Charlotte. But here's what's cool. This year's conference will be done virtually virtually. And so if you're a listener in Oregon or California or wherever you may be, you can join us on June 20th along with the men of Charlotte and watch this conference virtually. And so Derwin Gray is a part of it. Former Panthers Jonathan Stewart and Mike Tolbert will join me on a panel. And and so uh, I'll be able to interview those guys. And then we've also got some pastors and other speakers uh, that will be a part of the whole conference as well. You can find out more information at manupcharlotte.org. Manupcharlotte.org. It's taking place June 20th. And uh, basically we'll be live 9 to noon on June 20th, which is Father's Day weekend. So I hope you'll be a part of that. You can register at manupcharlotte.org. And so you'll get a little taste of, of what Derwin is all about today. And then it'll be fun to have him uh, a part of Man Up. So we will talk to Derwin about his new book. It's called The Good Life. And I think you'll be really encouraged to hear his thoughts on that. And then also at the end of the conversation, uh, I'll give you kind of my perspective on the conversation. And I want to share a couple verses that that go along with the topic that, that Derwin and I uh, discuss, and he wrote a book about. So uh, stick around for that as well. Uh, before we do that, let me ask you this. Do you need to get your own health insurance? Well, go to healthmarketgenius.com. Know your options. It's healthmarketgenius.com. Support them as they support us. Right now, let's jump in with Derwin Gray. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. Hey 
And joining us now on Unpacking It is former NFL player Dr. Derwin Gray. He spent five seasons in the league with the Panthers and the Colts and is now the pastor of Transformation Church located just south of Charlotte. He's a speaker and the author of a new book coming out June 2nd called The Good Life. What Jesus Teaches About Finding True Happiness. You can pre-order the book now at thegoodlifebook.net. Derwin, it's been a while, but great to have you back on Unpacking It. How are you? Hey, man, I am doing good. It is good to be with you. I want to make one slight correction. I played six years in the NFL, not five, six, man. Give me that. Give me that last year, baby. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, all right, not to throw anybody under the bus, but I had six from my the last time we had you on the show, and then I was reading some of the materials that they sent me, and it said five, and I go, ooh, all right, they I better change to five. All right. No, it was five with the Colts and one year with the Panthers, baby. Give me that six year. <laughs> you, you better, you better man, get that six, absolutely. For real. Well, that's, yes, man, it's good to – be with you and hear your voice again. Oh man, no, absolutely. Especially, especially you. That extra year of uh, of taking more hits or giving hits, I guess, as a safety. But uh, that that extra well, season counts. I think in that last year, it was taking more hits than giving. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, that's how it ends. That's for sure. Well, well, we'll uh, yep. we'll unpack the the new book. But but I saw you tweeting about the last dance, and and of course, as a yeah. a fan myself, it was fantastic. But what what was your big takeaway from from watching the documentary? You know, um, Michael Michael Jordan is pretty much who we who we thought he was, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he his. His his competitive fire was unrivaled. Um, even if you look at his body and athleticism, particularly in the 80s, moving into the 90s, athletically, he looks like the guys in this era. Hmm. I also think I'm not the biggest fan of his leadership, hmm. but I am a fan of how he got guys to play beyond themselves. And, you know, I'll, I'll always respect and appreciate what Michael Jordan was able to do. But even in the nineties as an NFL player, myself, my favorite player on the bulls team was Scottie Pippen. Pippen Hmm. was always my guy. Why was that? You know, I think what I loved about Pippen is he understood his role. He scored 20 points a game. He guarded the toughest player in the other team, the whole game. He led the team in assists and he was second in rebounds. And I just seen his calm demeanor, whereas Jordan was just a fiery ball of intensity. I think Scotty knew his role and played into that role. And I just, I just loved his versatility and his all-around greatness. Hmm. Yeah, I heard uh, Colin Cowherd call him the best vice president ever. And he really was the, just the perfect <laughs> compliment to, to Jordan. And, and you mentioned you didn't like... Uh, Jordan's leadership necessarily what about it and and did you ever even as you played have leaders in the locker room similar to that style that that Jordan had well you know I am all for demanding calling Mm. the best out of players like that's what a leader does a leader brings the best out of you true Uh, but when you call another man you know outside of his name in a disrespectful way you know that that's for me, that's unacceptable. Hmm. Um, you know, and I, I, I never played with anybody that went to another man and called them certain words 
you know, that you wouldn't say in front of your mom. Now I've played with demanding leaders, demanding coaches. So you can be demanding without being demeaning. Mm. And so for me, for me, how you win is just as important as winning. Yeah, that's good. Wow. Do you think that the, did you kind of know that about Jordan just as far as watching him back then? Or or did this kind of emphasize it even more as far as that, you know, how he treated some of his teammates? Well, you know, like I was like in the nineties, I was in the NFL and uh, you know, you got friends that play in the NBA. And so you knew that Jordan was like the apex predator, man. Jordan, (laughs) Jordan was like, I'm a win at all costs and every fiber but not only that, right, Jordan, Jordan made particularly black poor kids like myself hmm. believe that we could be mainstream. Hmm. Like his business acumen is second to none. Like he has a Jordan brand. Like he is literally a billionaire. And so I respect all those things about him and his leadership and his play and his skill, his work ethic. Um, you know, so yeah, like, like people knew like Jordan was the kind of guy that if you fought him during the game, he would be at your bus after the game (laughs) to say, what's up? I mean, like he is uber competitive and that's why he is who he is. I mean, he's an icon. I think it summed it up too in uh, maybe episode nine where Larry Bird actually came over and, you know, said good game or whatever. And Jordan was still crushing him. Even though he just coached, yeah. you know, coached the Pacers and they lose the game, and ah, uh, yeah, it just never ended. So, and Jordan was able to tap into motivational factors that took his elite talent to even higher depths. Like people forget, he was thirty-five when they won that NBA championship, the last one, and mm-hmm. and he was still like the best player in the NBA. Oh yeah, and and. Yeah, other than him being worn down, which we could see that he was still, yeah, right mm-hmm. there at, at at the peak for sure. No, it's fun. I, I can't get enough of it and uh, and love kind of kind of rehashing all that we we witnessed the first time around, actually watching him play, but then seeing all the behind the scenes. It was it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, let me add, add add this. So when I played for the Colts, and this was right in the midst of the Bulls' run, yeah, um, they would give Colts players the Pacers would courtside seats, and mm. so when the Pacers and the Bulls played in Indy. We had courtside seats. And I tell you what, it was like the Beatles, Michael Jackson, whoever you can think of was in town. And I watched Pippen and Jordan. Jordan scored 41, Pippen scored 40. And it was a complete masterpiece. And Pippen had a fast break. And instead of dunking, he just finger rolled the ball in. And you could hear the crowd go, Oh, like they wanted to see him dunk. And he was like, I ain't going to give you the satisfaction of seeing me dunk. But, and the Pacers were a good team. I mean, they had the Davis brothers. They had Mark Jackson. They had um, Reggie Miller. They had the Duncan Dutchman. I mean, they were Jalen Rose. I mean, they were a good team, man. Phil Jackson, Scotty and Jordan was just unrivaled. Absolutely. And throw in Rodman there at the end. So yeah, it was, yeah. It was yeah. it was awesome, man. Well, uh, one other sports topic, uh, just because you're an NFL guy and, and and near Charlotte and part of the Charlotte community, you know, we saw our our big icon leave in Cam Newton. 
What did you make yeah. of kind of the ending with Cam Newton, and, and what do you anticipate kind of his career looks like next? Yeah, the first thing that I'll say is I really, really pre- appreciate Cam Newton as a player. Mm. Uh, he came in and done things that we really had never seen before from a man his size. I mean, let's not forget he was the NFL MVP, took his team 15-1 and one and lost to a great Broncos team. His body has taken a lot of hits, and Cam Newton was not protected like Aaron Rodgers. He was not protected like other elite quarterbacks because he looks like a DN. I mean, he looks like Michael Strahan. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, he took shots, helmet to helmet, late hits, and I think the 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 pounding wore him down, right? And so, I think if Cam can get back healthy and find the right fit, I think that he can lead another franchise and do great things. Um, I think what will happen is is he will become an even better pocket passer because just as the older you get, your physical dimensions deteriorate. And so with Marshall Falk, a former teammate of mine, when he hurt his toe, he actually became a better player, even though he was a little bit slower hmm. because he got smarter. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that Cam Newton gets another shot because he is like, he makes the NFL better. You know, the Carolina Panthers did what they had to do. Like this is a total rebuild. Like they are starting over. Yep. And so, you know, it's going to be rough for a few years, but I could see the Panthers doing what the 49ers did, loading up the team with high draft picks and guys of character, coaching them up and competing for NFL titles. Yeah, no, it's a great comparison, especially with San Francisco. They loaded up on defense, which, of course, the Panthers did in this last draft. Uh, spending a, yes. spending <laughs> spending the whole draft on on defense. Every draft pick was on defense. That was and crazy. You know me as a defensive player. I was like, ah, oh, I like this. This is good. <laughs> yeah, go, I like. They went all in on it. It was it was smart. It made sense. Well, all right. Let's uh, let, let's shift gears a little bit. And and of course, you're a, a former football player turned pastor. And and this. You know, last, these last couple of months, it's put a lot of, I think, uh, weight or pressure on pastors to be there for their congregation, even though the congregation isn't there in person. And, and so I'm just curious, just as as you've been encouraging people during the pandemic, how have you been doing and, and how has it affected you personally and, and maybe even the toll that, that this has taken on on you feeling the responsibility to be there for your congregation? Yeah, you know, I think the first thing is you're going through uh, triage. You're just you're just making sure everybody's okay. So your adrenaline is shooting out of the roof, and um, all great leadership understands delegation and empowerment. So we have a great staff at Transformation Church, and so the thing was to make sure that I equipped them so that they could care for the people. And so you go through triage for about three weeks. Mm. And then you kind of settle into a new normal and you adjust, you adapt. After about a, about five weeks, it hit me. And I was like, what, what day is it? <laughs> and I found myself even sinking into a mild depression. And I was like, okay, mm. I need to have structure. I need to uh, have hours where I'm working, then resting. I need to exercise. I need to do all those things. And so I came out of that. So yeah, man, it, 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 it has been challenging that 
Uh, mental health is shooting out of the roof. People are dying. People are losing jobs. Mm. But what I will say, I have never seen people more hungry for Jesus in my life. Amen. That our, that our church is growing exponentially. We're averaging about 40,000 people watching sermons per weekend for Easter. Wow. We had 117,000. Oh, man. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. So we're actually seeing our church grow exponentially and a lot of people come into faith. Well, amen. So God, yeah, God's definitely using it. And, uh, and, and yeah, I just think it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times as a pastor, you're, you're watching other people maybe go through, through tough times. It's not that you don't experience tough times yourself, but it's just, we're, we're all in this in such a similar sense, uh, which is interesting. I've just, I've had a, a heart for, for pastors during this time. So, um, appreciate yeah, you sharing actually, that. Actually, actually, pastors typically go through more problems than the normal person because of spiritual warfare. True. And sadly, as pastors, we think that I can't show weakness and I have to, quote unquote, be tough. But the reality is God's power is perfected in our weakness, Second Corinthians twelve ten. Mm. And so there have, you know, sadly, uh, during this time, uh, a pastor friend of mine actually took his life, yeah. um, which is just awful. And so... Uh, not just pastors, all of us need to be vulnerable, that we are strongest when we're weakest and when we ask for help. Mm. The new strength is weakness because God only uses weak people. Amen. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a whole sermon right there. And man, no, I appreciate that. that uh, yeah, just awareness and, and encouragement for sure. Well, uh, along those lines, you, you've now written a book called The Good Life, which is all about happiness and, and connected to you know, Jesus is teaching, especially with the Beatitudes. And, and so I, I want to hear all about this, this book and, and especially, I mean, gosh, the timing of this is, is excellent. So the, the process for, for writing on this topic, I'm, I'm curious about, because was it something where God really revealed kind of this concept to you, the answers to you? And so then you decided to write a book about it, or did you set out to discover okay, what does Jesus really say about happiness and the good life, and, and I need to go write a book about it? Yeah, so what happened was, in about 2014, I was just running into Christians, non-Christians, men, women, teenagers, everybody, and people were like, I can't find happiness. I can't find happiness. And I said, well, let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Mm. And we did a sermon series on the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and Jesus lists eight characteristics of a blessed person. Mm. And the word blessed in Greek is the Greek word makaros, and it literally means happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy mm. are those who mourn. Happy are the humble. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he goes through these eight characteristics, and it's like Jesus is saying, sit at my feet, experience my power, experience my life, and let me shape you into a happy person. But it's not the happiness that you think. It's a happiness that's deeper and better and more beautiful. And it's a happiness that is not about good things always happening to you. It's about God making you good. So therefore, your happiness is not contingent upon circumstances. It's contingent upon God working in you and through you to make you the person you were created to be. Mm, 
Oh, it's amazing. Well, I love you know, words and the meaning of words. And, and so you chose the word happiness. And a lot of times I think we've maybe leaned toward joy and we say, oh, yeah, happiness isn't it, it, there's a difference there. So h- how did you kind of wrestle with those words? And I don't even throw contentment in there. Yeah. And you've already mentioned the word blessed as well. Yeah. So, you know, uh, early in my Christian faith, I would I would I would say this and this is not theologically correct is I would say joy and happiness is different. Happiness is what happens because of happenings. Joy is rooted in Christ. Mm. And the reality is is that joy and happiness are interchangeable in the Bible. In the Old Testament, joy and happiness mean the same thing. In the New Testament, joy and happiness mean the same thing. But what I want people to get is this. Happiness is having Godfidence, not confidence. Happiness is having Godfidence that everything is going to be okay because my Redeemer lives his redemptive purposes stand, and I will stand with the one who defeated the uh, sin and the grave. Mm. That happiness isn't these fleeting feelings. Happiness is a posture of the soul that's rooted in purpose and rooted in us being transformed by Jesus himself. Mm. You, you know, a lot of times, right, we... Um, you know, we'll go on vacations and I love going to the Dominican Republic. And when you get on the airplane, you know, there's like sand falling out of your shoes. And a lot of times that's the way happiness is, is it's like the beach that we were at. As soon as we leave the beach, we leave our happiness. And the happiness that Jesus wants to give us is a happiness that's transportable everywhere we go because it's a happiness that happens on the inside, not on the outside. So good. So good. I love it. Well, so you, you wrote this book to encourage and, and challenge readers and help them understand what true happiness is. What, what kind of impact did the message of the book have on you as you were writing it? Man, I'm so glad you asked that question. A couple things. The first thing is this. As I was writing the book, I found myself experiencing different dimensions and a depth and beauty of happiness that I never had. And that began to affect the way I love my wife, my children, the way I pastor. And then the second thing is, as I'm writing the book, I said, man, if I didn't write this book, I would be stealing thousands upon thousands of blessings from people. Mm. And uh, it was like, I had to write this book. I had to. Hmm. Wow. No, that's great. And and so you, you focused on the Beatitudes and in and the, and the words of Jesus, and, and, and a couple of them are, are, you know, they jump off the, the page to you because it says, you know, blessed or happy are the beggars, happy are the sad, happy are the persecuted. Yeah. So, so yeah. which of those were the toughest to, to write about and kind of wrap your mind around? Yeah, you know, probably for this season that we're in with COVID and the pandemic, Demic, I think one of the ones that's going to catch people by surprise in a good way is happy are the sad. Hmm. And that's based on Matthew 5, 4, happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And what I mean, happy are the sad is this, happy are those who long for broken things to be fixed, Hmm. for hurt to be healed, for all wrongs to be made right, for all sad things to become untrue. And when our heart hurts for what breaks God's heart, we gain solidarity with people, which then increases our capacity to love them. Secondly, we gain solidarity with Jesus, who on the cross experienced the ramifications of sin, every awful thing he experienced on the cross. So you gain greater appreciation for his sacrifice. And then what happens is 
is out of that lament, it moves you to action to join Jesus in trying to bring a better world in place of this one. Mm. And so lamenting actually helps us. And if we dismiss grief, we forfeit growth. And a lot of times as American Christians and just Americans in general, we don't grieve much. It's like, you don't have time. Just go, 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 go. Mm. And a lot of times, and what COVID has allowed us to do, it kept us out of work. It slowed everything down where we actually had to grieve not only what's happening in the pandemic, but we had to grieve pain in our past. We had to grieve disappointment. And if we grieve in the right way, if we grieve with Jesus, that grief becomes a highway for growth. Mm. And so in in Happy Are the Sad, the idea is we begin to be happy because we now join Jesus in healing hurts, but we also point to a day when all of us in Christ will raise from the dead and there are no more tears, there's no more suffering, there's no more pain. And so that gives us hope. And hope is like rocket fuel that moves us through adversity to create opportunities to love. That's great. Gosh. Well, uh, along those lines, too, I, whenever I think of the word happy, I also think of kind of fake happy or, you know, oh, I'm just putting on a happy face. And, and you talking about embracing the grief and, and embracing the suffering and, and the connection that that can have to happiness. Uh, maybe speak to that a little bit as far as you're not saying we need to, to be, I don't know, delusional or fake happy, that, that kind of thing. That's, that's not what this is about. Not at all. You, you know, so as a former football player, you're watching game film. You're always trying to improve. And when a coach points out areas where you can improve, you may not like it, but you need it. Mm. And so happiness is being able to look at reality through the lenses of Jesus. And the lenses of Jesus says this, all things work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so therefore, I can look at reality and assess it and still be positive and happy because I know that even my wrongs, God can make right. Mm. I know that even my mistakes he can take to make me more like Christ. So even the bad turns out good when I trust him. So I don't have to duck from reality. I can actually engage it because Jesus is reality. Amen. Let that soak in a little bit. Wow. So uh, you mentioned the word, well, part of the verse about God's purpose, but I think the other part, and I think you write about this, you know, so many people are unhappy because they don't know their purpose. And, and so, yeah. There's there's kind of our own purpose that's a part of God's purpose, and that's connected to happiness as well. So what's kind of the, 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 the maybe short explanation or principle behind that? Yeah, you know, a lot of times we think our career is our purpose, when in reality our career is the vehicle that carries our purpose. Ooh. Our purpose is to let God love us. We love him, we love ourselves, and we love our neighbors. And our career is the vehicle that allows us to do that. Mm, makes sense. I like it. And so, yeah, so that, that comes back to uh, the good life. And, and when we recognize that, we're able to embrace the good life uh, that Derwin writes about mm-hmm. in, in his new book, 
uh, called The Good Life, what Jesus teaches about finding true happiness, uh, thegoodlifebook.net is the website, and uh, I, can't, I can't wait to read it. Really, really excited about it. And I'm also thrilled that you'll be joining us for Man Up Charlotte, a, a conference taking place virtually on June 20th. And, and we do have listeners uh, all over the country that, that could also listen and be a part of uh, this great conference, but it is focused in on, on Charlotte. We've got a great heart for the men of Charlotte, and so Derwin's going to be our keynote speaker. And, and so maybe can you give us a, a quick teaser on, on maybe what, what you're going to talk about or kind of where your heart is at for, for, the, for the men that, you, that, that you're going to end up speaking to? Yeah, the first thing is I love getting men together. We're going to get to, together re, remotely, vir, uh, virtually, and the Holy Spirit is not limited. I'm excited for us to get together. And what I want to do is I want to help us to understand that the greatest power the greatest force is men, crawl up to your father's lap. Let God the Father hold you. Let him love you. Rest in his power. Ask him his purpose. And so I think men are fueled to become great men when they sit at the feet of the Father, listen to the words of Jesus, and allow the Holy Spirit to empower them. Amen. That's a wonderful message. So people can keep up with Derwin on Twitter and Instagram, at uh, Derwin L. Gray. Uh, and then also you've got a podcast called Marinate on That. And uh, yeah. one of your recent guests was actually your son. And, and I, I, we might not have too much time to, to get into this uh, fully, but they can go check out the podcast to hear more about it. But, but maybe, uh, maybe share a, a quick lesson that you've learned uh, through the journey that you've been on with your son and, and his football career and leaving Wake Forest and, and something that maybe could be even an encouragement to the dads listening today? Yeah, the first thing that I would say is the greatest thing that can happen for your kids is they listen to the voice of Jesus and follow him and not what the culture says. My son was an incredible football player, 6'2", 215, 4'4", getting first and second team reps at Wake Forest, making plays. He no doubt would have had a great career barring injury, um, but he felt that God was calling him to immerse himself in learning foreign languages and to study abroad in Europe because he wants to leverage business for the gospel and our politics for the gospel in Europe. Mm. And man, what an honor to hear your son say, I know people won't understand, but my decision is not predicated upon people understanding. I just need to understand what Jesus is calling me to. And man, there's nothing greater than hearing your kids follow the voice of God. And I'm like, son, I support you 100%. Gosh, what a great story. So uh, people can actually go listen to that conversation uh, on Derwin's podcast. It's called Marinate on That. And then also you can check Derwin out as part of the, the Man Up Conference Go to manupcharlotte.org, and, and he's uh, our keynote speaker for that event, and we're really fired up uh, about that and, and unpacking its involvement uh, with that, but other great ministries and churches uh, a part of that as well. So it's going to be a great day on June 20th, manupcharlotte.org. And then Derwin's book, it comes out June 2nd, but you can pre-order it now. It's called The Good Life, thegoodlifebook.net. Derwin, so great to have you on the show. Really enjoyed catching up. 
and uh, look forward to uh, to connecting again uh, here soon. All right, brother. Appreciate it, man. You have a good one. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much. There's Derwin Gray joining us here on Unpacking It. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And we're back in studio to recap the the incredible, encouraging, awesome conversation with Derwin Gray, pastor, author, speaker. Don't forget manupcharlotte.org to register for what should be a really awesome morning on June 20th. All right, so I'm thrilled to read his new book. It's called The Good Life, and... You know, it's something that I think all of us, at least I do, I, I, mean, I just, I desire to live with joy and happiness and live the kind of life that Jesus wants me to live, and, and I know that true happiness is found in him, and, and according to his ways. God is the creator, so he created us, and so he's going to know wh- which way is best, <laughs> and he's going to know, you know how, how we can make the most of this life, but ultimately it's setting us up for eternal life with him. And so we still have to live each day. And so we want to live uh, with purpose and we want to live with as much joy and happiness and and blessing from him as we can. And so I thought, you know, based on Derwin's book, he talks about the the Sermon on the Mount and, and what Jesus preaches to the crowd. And so I thought I would just read what it says in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and I wanted to do it in the Amplified Version because I think it'll just have a big impact. So I encourage you to go read it yourself, but but since you're listening today, uh, let, let's jump in here. So in verse 3 it says, blessed, and so like Derwin explained, we can use that word happy, but in the Amplified it says blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy, to be admired, are the poor in spirit those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Verse 4, blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent, for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Verse 5, blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. Verse 7, blessed, content, sheltered by God's promises are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Verse 8, blessed, anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature, are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character, for they will see God. Verse 9, blessed, spiritually calm, with life joy in God's favor, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express His character and be called the sons of God. Verse 10, blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love, are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. And lastly, verse 11, blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive, with life joy, 
in God's goodness? Are you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil, evil things against you because of your association with me? And then in 12, be glad and exceedingly joyful for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible. For in this same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. I mean, it's powerful stuff. So that's the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And, and I know many of us have probably heard that in church, and we've heard even one-offs, you know, certain verses, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit and that kind of thing. But I, I think when you look at the Amplified and look at some, you know, what that really means, some of those words, and uh, it, it, you know, expand on it a little bit more in, in depth, uh, to, to look at the meaning. I think it's really powerful stuff. And so I'm encouraged to check out Derwin's book to read even more about this, get his perspective on it in a, in a more in-depth way. Uh, I love reading, so I'm looking forward to that. But but check out Matthew 5, 1 through 12. That's what I just read. And uh, I know it's funny just to re- listen to me read, but, but I, th- I thought that was cool. I really did, just in, in, in light of what we just heard from Derwin. So that's today's podcast. I hope you're encouraged. Derwin's awesome, and uh, glad to have him back back on the show. It had been a, a long time since he, he's been on Unpacking It. So appreciate him, appreciate you. As always, I'm Bryce Johnson. I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected, and through faith, I've been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well, and I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Check out unpackingit.com, and I'll talk to you next time right here on the Unpacking It podcast. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week. 